And on that note, Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> yes. Alright everybody, welcome to another episode of the show. I'm your host Chris Polk alongside Larry Long. Made some changes today on the website with this uh, with this episode. Uh, I uh, A little inside baseball here, but everything from the time that I began doing the podcast up until now had been on the AnAmericanTruckDriver.com website. I needed to get that moved over to the Blue Ribbon Logistics website to make everything a little better. So... Everything now has been moved over, and fingers and toes crossed that the uh, all the podcast feeds with Stitcher and Apple have been updated. And so I'm 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 optimistic that when I upload this episode, it will be accessible by iTunes and Stitcher. Um, everything we are going to start pushing toward the Blue Ribbon uh, brand. So the Facebook page, the website. Um, all the emails and stuff uh, to make that a little bit easier, and we're gonna. I'm gonna start putting the Ann American truck driver stuff to bed. It'll be up for a while, uh, but I'll eventually pull that down and 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 shove everything over to the Blue Ribbon website and Facebook page. So on this episode, we're going to talk about this California AB5 bill, uh, what some known as the Dynamex decision. Obviously, this is a it's a big deal, Landstar started getting in touch with the BCOs that live in California last week and have basically told them, you know, move out of the state um, and prove to us that you've moved out of the state and you're fine. Or uh, you can deliver loads in California, but you cannot pick up loads in California, which sounds it's, – it's turned California into a foreign country, uh, which is hilarious. You know, because that's the same way for Canadian drivers. You know, they can they can deliver in the U.S., they can pick up in the U.S., but they can't, you know, uh, they have to, <laughs> they're stuck with this border. And so the state of California, um, they've been doing their level best to turn it into a third world country for the last 20 or 30 years, and it uh, sounds like they're going to succeed. So obviously this is going to be a big deal, and I think we should talk a little bit about how we got here. Um, in our opinion, you can go back and listen to the episode on, uh, I think it was episode 54, Don't Get Pimped, on the 1099 versus W-2. That's what got this this train rolling down the tracks. Or, or, or it was a useful idiot, if you will. I think the ultimate goal here, in my opinion, is to crush small business, is to crush the contractor model. And it to me, this... The passage of this bill and other states trying to do it is just a sign to me that there are a lot of established firms and organizations that know they're in big trouble. They know that the market is changing. They know that the world is changing. And if they don't get the government to do something on their behalf, they're in big trouble. And so I have a glass half empty view of this of this 
of this change. Uh, is it going to make a lot of people's lives difficult? Yes. Is it going to change some things? Yes. Is it the end of the world as we know it? No, I don't think so. So I guess let me get you in this, Larry. What are your impressions of this from the time we started hearing about it until it's it's now starting you know, to get toward that implementation, given your breadth of experience in the market as a contractor, then with contractors, what, what's your thoughts on where this thing is headed? Well, my initial reaction is it, it's gross overreach to solve a problem that has gone on for a long, long time. And I mentioned it before, and this is the industry that, in my opinion, is probably the biggest you know, violator of misclassification that I've ever been involved in. And I always wondered, because I've heard other people in the industry who have a, have a, um, a platform and a, and a, and a forum to say things, why they have always said, yeah, you, you shouldn't use, uh, you, you shouldn't work for somebody as a 1099 if you're really not qualified to, to be an independent contractor, but don't worry, nobody ever checks it. And I've heard that so often. And guess what? <laughs> I guess somebody was paying attention. It, yeah. it reminds me a lot of the ELD thing because, I mean, we went forever and ever and ever with everybody in the country giggled under their breath about how many log books they had and how long they could get away with it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, December the 18th of 2017, yeah. everything changed. So one big swat with a great big fly swatter, and that problem got fixed. Well, this is the same big fly swatter, you know. Now, California swiped it first, but New Jersey's getting ready to do it. Mm-hmm. And there's a bill before Congress right now. The federal government's looking at it and adopting the ABC as the standard for uh, classification. The ABC, the problem with the ABC is the B part of the ABC. And it simply says that... You cannot hire an independent contractor that does the same core work that your business does. In other words, if you're a painter, you're a painting contractor, you can't hire independent contractor painters. If you're in a trucking business and your job is trucking, you can't hire independent contractors to truck. So that's the problem with the ABC. That, that's, and then now they, they, they do allow some exemptions, and they made some exemptions in California. But trucking wasn't one of them. And the biggest reason was because the Teamsters are just salivating at this. Oh, and yeah. The Teamsters have a whole lot more lobby than we do, you know. Mm-hmm. So this was just right down there, you know, um, game plan, you know, to try to, pr- to try to key. And this all started at the ports in California. where it all started. Yeah. But it's, it's worked its way through. And then we, you know, we as an industry have just sat here and acted stupid for all these years. And, and, and I keep hearing how that these poor employees are being taken advantage of by these big companies by misclassification. I got news for you. There are more drivers willing to work for a 1099 than there are employers wanting them to do that. If there wasn't, it, it, <laughs> If there wasn't a market for it, there wouldn't be a problem with it. You know, um, if I made you work as a 1099 uh, contractor and you didn't want to, it's an easy thing to fix. And we went over that in depth in that previous episode about don't get pimped. You can make a phone call 
and you can fix that in tomorrow will be fixed. Okay. Yeah. Fill out a form, SSA. It'll be fixed quickly. Okay. But if I'm a, if I'm an employer and you come to me and you want to work as a 1099, you know, there's nothing that other than me telling you I'm not going to do it. The the government doesn't step in there and go, oh, you've got a, you've got an employer here that needs to you know be fined, penalized, put in jail, beat, whatever, because he's offered to work for you as a as a misclassified employee. So the yeah. the problem is is just in my opinion is just as much a problem with people willing to do it than it are than it than it is with companies wanting to do it that way. You know, I see all the time on Facebook ads for drivers all the time. And and you'll see the comments, you know, well, you got to be sure you got to be a 1099. You got to be, you know, the, the advice from other drivers to, to a driver taking a job was, you know, do, be a, do it, do it as a 1099, you know, where it's obvious that that person's applying to be an employee driver. And a 1099 would not, would not uh, be um, the proper thing to do. So I think we we shouldn't miss. I mean, there's two reasons that people are trying to shut this down. Because, I mean, let's let's talk. You know, my relationship with with Blue Ribbon. Okay, I'm, I'm an employee driver. But, but y'all, at, at the end of the year, at the end of the day, it's it's just not going to matter if I'm W nine or I'm ten nine. It just it's not going to change my life. Okay. But the people collecting the taxes and the people who believe in their in their precious little hearts, they believe that, well, if I'm an employee, then that means they have an opportunity to convince me to join their organization, their union organization. They need everybody to be employees. They don't benefit if people are contractors. And obviously the state does not benefit if you're contractors because, number one, self-employed people make terrible slaves. Uh, People that have to write checks to the government to pay taxes change their behavior. They change the way they operate. And so if, you know, if I believed in – if I believed in government as a – you know, as as a supernatural, uh, omnipotent force, and I could be in control of it for a day. And if I believed that the magic wand actually worked, well, I would just wave it and say, "Okay, now everybody's self-employed, no more employees." And the reason I would say that is because when you're self-employed, you're at least more likely to be a little more responsible, a little more in control of your own destiny, and uh, l- behave a little bit less like a slave. That, obviously, that's not a, a 100% thing. But I don't believe in waving magic wands and forcing people to do things. Uh, but the two people who need this classification thing to be worked out is the state because they want they need more tax money out of you and the unions because they need you. They their Their enrollment is just shriveling up because people are not... Um, not interested. I'm not interested. I, I don't. I don't know ten people around me that are interested in joining a union. Um, so, but I want to get. I want to get beyond this little bit because Uber and Lyft are always brought up in this conversation as if they started it. 
and in a in a sort of kind of way they they did but i already saw this train heading down the tracks like you said with the ports when the government comes in and regulates everybody's equipment uh, and it puts everybody out of business and that freight still had to get moved that's what create that the, the train was already heading down the track and then alongside comes this other this peer to peer market and so my belief this is just my personal belief is that we have only scratched the surface of a peer-to-peer economy and what that really looks like. Uber and Lyft have given us the tiniest little glimpse of what that peer-to-peer economy looks like and what it can do. And so the other day I was talking with a friend of mine and I used this example. I said, let's go back to, you know, 1950 and a guy named Elvis Presley is making music. Well, the only way that Elvis Presley or uh, Johnny Cash or the Beatles or who, you know, the only way that they could get their music out is that they had to get with somebody that had a distribution network. That was the record companies. And so these artists would sell their souls to the devil because they wanted to get their music out. They wanted to play for the world. They wanted to be famous. And so they would sign their lives away to these record companies because the record companies had the ability, the distribution ability to get their music out. Well, now what do you do in 2019? If you're young and talented, you want to get your music out, put it on YouTube for free. You put it on Spotify. You, you, you go straight to Spotify and do a deal. You go straight to Apple Music and do a deal. You go straight to YouTube. You don't need a record company anymore. They're, they're unnecessary. And now you have Uber and Lyft in New York City, and it's either, okay, here's my choices. On this end, I can pay a quarter of a million dollars for a medallion to stick on the hood of my wore-out Crown Victoria to be able to go around and, and, and pick up people. Or I can use the car that I already own and push some buttons on my phone and go start giving people rides. The people that paid $250,000 for the medallion, they don't want you to use Uber and Lyft. They want you to get in their nasty, stank, falling apart, ugly-ass taxi cab um, because they're, they're established. Now, you know, I guess you could say they paid for the right, but technology comes along and gives me, the consumer, I'm the one that matters. If I'm standing on the curb in New York City or Charleston, West Virginia, and I need a ride to go somewhere, and I can pick up my phone, and somebody can pick me up in their car, that person has just been empowered like people have not been empowered in human history. That's no, what the, I see as the... And, and, and the government has having trouble wrangling those people into a situation where they can control them. You know, when you buy the medallion... You're registered. There's a mm-hmm. whole, whole, whole lot of that ties you to, you know, uh, uh, strings attached. You know, when you download a Uber app, you're still working outside of that forced compliance, you know, mm-hmm. and and it's gotten so big, you know, that um, you're right. Those are the two. They've New Jersey's already figured out they've. 
Uber owes them $640 million <laughs> in back so taxes. They say. Yeah. In back taxes right now. <clears throat> well, that a politician that that they they would they start salivating at that, you know. Mm-hmm. And of course, California they've been broke forever, you know, no, yeah. uh, because they can't afford to pay for their you know their entitlements and whatnot. So it's it's it is nothing more than a money grab. That's all there is to it, and an attempt at from to the government uh, on the government's part to try to again keep control. You know, of the slaves, because this is just one more step towards we talk a lot about about blockchain and that sort of thing. You know, this is a step in that direction. You know, the handwriting's on the wall. The control yeah. is going away. This is yeah. just a struggle to try to maintain it as best they can. But that's the big, big picture here. And and the thing that's sad about it is that, again, politics plays. Let me let me read you the list. Of, let me let me read you the list of the industries in California that were exempted from the final version of this at the last at the eleventh hour. Okay, lawyers, administrators, <laughs> doctors, psychologists, dentists, podiatrists, insurance agents, stockbrokers. Do I need to stop? Accountants, engineers, veterinarians. Real estate agents, hairstylists, barbers, commercial fishermen. Let me read you a list of the people who didn't get exempted. Truck drivers, uh, physical therapists, manicurists, exotic dancers, musicians, and gig economy workers. Excellent. Now, do you see a, do you see a correlation right there at all? <laughs> exotic dancers. That's gold. Yeah. yeah. Manicurists. Musicians, pretty independent type of folk, right there. What do you say? Yeah, you very know, much so compared to the first list. So, yeah. you know, you can you can you can say all you want. This is all this is is just it, it, it again. It's it's government overreach. There's nothing more, you know. And, and it's like desperation. Say, it's absolute desperation. Absolutely. I think you know in order. In order to embrace a really good conspiracy theory, you have to you have to have a kind of base level faith in these people, right? You have to like um, you have to have some level of admiration for, them, right? At least you know, hey, these people are capable of getting together and doing X, whatever it is. And so I struggle with on one side. Do they do they know what I know, or do they believe what I believe? Put it that way. I believe one hundred percent that their entire house of cards is coming crashing down around them. That human beings are becoming more and more free by the day, by the minute, and by the hour. And I believe that within the next ten years, there's a lot of establishments, including governments, that will practically cease to exist so do they believe the same thing i believe and they're like oh wow let's look at look at what's going to happen we've got to shut this down or or are they just kind of short-sighted and do they really believe all this garbage that they say about oh misclassifying workers is unfair and you know i want to believe on one hand that they're smart enough to look around them and see what's happening with blockchain and see what's happening with cryptocurrency and see what's happening with social media and, and how people can communicate now like never before. But 
I don't know which it is. I, it, it, <laughs> I mean, on one hand, it's easier to believe that they're just so stupid and they're so hell-bent on getting reelected that they got to go find somebody to save. I mean, that one probably makes more sense. But if they, if they get it, if they see what I see, and they believe what I believe, you know, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what they'll do, but I just don't believe that in the long term, any of this matters. I don't, you know, I just, it's going to be really, really inconvenient for some people. And I mean, let's, let's say that, uh, you know, West Virginia or the federal government did it. Well, doesn't that just put Landstar out of business and puts us over on our own? Well, there, you know, the, yeah, there's going to be a, there, there's going to have to be an adjustment made. I, you know, I, I I don't know that it's going to put Landstar out of business. I, the model will definitely have to change I, for sure. Um, I think Landstar would have to change to where it can, you know, the the way you get around this, obviously, for most people and it was, guys in California, they're going to have to get their own authority. You know, that's that's the probably the easiest way to work around this. Mm-hmm. Well, Landstar still is a brokerage. Okay, you don't have to be part of the carrier group. You know, you don't That's have to true. be. You can, you can. I can, I can be. I can get my authority tomorrow. Move my trucks over to approved carrier. I can stay at Landstar. That's not a that that doesn't keep true. me from working. Okay. Um, the the only other problem with that at Landstar is that part of this ABC bullshit is that part of what you have to do is you all you have to be in in you. You have to prove that you're in business and that you, as an independent contractor, work for more than one vendor. So that would keep you from being exclusive. But I still think that Landstar has a workaround for that because as Landstar agents are broken down into three different companies just like the drivers are. You know, you're, as an agent, you're either Rager, Enway, or Ligon. So, you know, we, we take loads right now. We don't differentiate between the three, but if we were at, if we were an outside carrier, the package that comes with that will come with a different MC number for each, uh, or DOT number for each of those different, um, entities. So an agent is one of the three, you see. Okay. So still think that at Landstar, we have a workaround that it wouldn't really affect us individually. You know, I think we can still work. And, and that, look, people are going to figure out how to work around this. You know, I, I just, you know, I don't think it's going to have this big of an effect. Uh, I mean, it's going to be a it's going to be an inconvenience. And the problem with a lot of the guys right now going to be, to be uh, under own authority is that insurance costs are just so outrageous right now. So, is, is it going to? It's going to put some people out of business. No question about it. But here's the thing: when the freight's sitting on the dock and not moving, you know, yeah, that freight's going to move. They're going to figure. Oh, yeah. They're going to figure out a way, you know. So uh, everyone, everything has 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 unintended consequence. And although what they're trying to do here is collect tax, you know, just like with the ports, they're not going to let the freight sit there and all that produce rot. And to collect a little bit of tax, you know, they're going to have to figure out a way to make it move. So, yeah, I'm confident that, you know, sharp people, you know, creative people, people that are in business already because they're, you know, they're they're innovative and so forth will continue to be innovative. You know, it might 
make it harder for people who who are just following along and doing what everybody, you know, tells them to do. But I think that it's an look. Most things like this create an opportunity. You know, so you can look right. at it one of two ways. You know, you can go, oh, shit, that's killing us. You know, or you look at it and go, wait a minute, let's figure this out. How can we make this work? You know, and I just choose to take that approach is let's figure out how to make it work. I can make it. Well, I'll make it work. We'll figure it out somehow. I mean, shoot, you know, our long term plans are to would have would have avoided this anyway. We plan on having a brokerage. We plan on having our authority. I mean, I, it, it may accelerate right. some things. It doesn't hurt us. You know? Right. Well, I think what's interesting, uh, have you ever heard the name G. Edward Griffin? No. I stumbled across one of those social media wormholes that you end up in, and somebody sends me a video, and I start looking into it. And this guy wrote the the book, uh, The Creature from Jekyll Island, about the Federal Reserve. Mm-hmm. You ever heard of this book? I have. Okay. Uh, so I watched an interview with him. I'll, I'll drop it in the show notes. Uh, this YouTube interview, and it was, it was like an hour long, and it was just he's a really good speaker. He's really easy to listen to. Um, he's not like Alex Jones crazy and you know all this. He just he just sits and says, "Well, this is this is how I got to this 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 principle," and he kind of walks through the whole story. And I think it's worth. Uh, it's worth at least considering in amongst all of this independent contractor classification and all of this search for control, we, at some point we have to start talking about the money a little bit and the means of exchange. And so the basic kind of premise of this guy, uh, this, this book, um, is that, you know, the federal reserve is basically just a cartel of banks it, in which it is a private in, entity, and and back in the early 1900s, the banks got together and wrote some legislation and handed it to the to the government, and the government says, okay, well that's great, you regulated yourselves, and and so they've been in control all along, and obviously it does not paint the Federal Reserve in a in a positive light. Okay, so here's what I've been thinking about. So, got my phone here. A friend of mine sent me ten dollars, Apple Pay cash, the other day. I don't know, I bought a book or something on Audible. or And he was like, hey, I'll just send you the money on Apple Pay. Okay. Now, I use my Apple Pay, and I love it because, you know, I'm at a fast food restaurant. I'm getting gas, and I just I double tap the home button. I hold the phone up to the thing, and I don't have to pull my wallet. I don't have to swipe the card. The Apple Pay is really convenient. Well, this Apple Pay cash, much like the cash app, which is another another one that I use, the only way you can get money into Apple Pay Cash or to the Cash app is through your bank. And I'm thinking, man, it would be handy if I could go to like Walmart or Amazon or Apple or something like buy a gift card if I had cash money. And I wanted to, to just take cash money and put it into my Apple Pay without having to involve the middleman, without having to involve the bank. And I look into it, and of course I can't find. The only thing I can find is, well, you must you must be tied to an American bank. That's great for the banks. I mean, it's it's awesome for them. It's not so much for me because I would like I would like to be able to take my some value and and place it into this wonderful 
means of exchange, you know, that simplifies the process and be able to transfer that value to someone else without having to have that middleman. And so I'm not coming at that saying, well, this is this is a principle of freedom. I'm just saying that just as a guy, I'd like to be able to transfer some some wealth, some value from me to you without having to involve all these other people. I'm telling you, that's coming. It's it's just a matter of time. When, not if, when we get to the point where we have a means of exchange, we have the ability to transfer value and wealth from one person to the other without some third-party middleman sticking their nose in it where it doesn't belong, and then you've got another fourth party in the government, and they're all everybody sticking their fingers in where it doesn't belong. I just don't see a lot of this stuff mattering. I don't, because once you don't have access to my means of exchange, well, good luck to you. I mean, what what are you going to do when you can't, you can't have my money anymore. You know, it's none of your goddamn business what I'm doing and who I'm contracting with and what I'm spending my money on. You know, so I, I don't know, man. I just see this absolute freedom just on the horizon. And if you grasp that basic concept and say, okay, well, that's at least a real possibility. Well, what's on the other side of that? You know? Well, there's going to be a whole lot of people dragging and screaming about you doing that, and they're going to be, you know, and and again, this is this is kind of what we're talking about right here is that the reason that you have to go to a bank to do that is because banks are heavily, heavily, heavily controlled by the government. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't open a bank and be independent <laughs> of the government. Okay, right. they have regulators there on a monthly basis, looking to make sure that they're doing things compliant with the. FDIC and the all the other regulatory agencies they have to deal with. So that's the reason why that that is is done that way. So even though this is a utopia that that would would be beneficial to many 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 people, it wouldn't be beneficial to the government. And right. they're not they're not going to just sit around. <laughs> yeah. and, they're not and going. Wow, what happen. a great idea! No. It might it might happen. <laughs> it's it's going to happen as a revolution, not as a right. You know, yeah, so, we're never going to get them to write that bill. You no. know, they're now. Uh, well, now, now, maybe, maybe if, if if you know what the fair tax is, if you understand what the fair tax is, it's a national mm-hmm. sales tax. It eliminate all this goes away. Every bit of this would go away. It doesn't matter what you make, who paid it to you, mm-hmm. whether you got it by being a hooker on the street or being a governor. It would not matter because. The only thing it's taxed is your what you spend your money on purchases, you know, right. and that that would be, in my opinion, a step in the right direction because then all of this other stuff doesn't matter. What you make, how you made it, you know, what you give to each other. Because if you got money, guess what you're going to do with it? Yes. You're going to spend it. Mm-hmm. So that's where they can maintain some control. And, and stay out of people's business. And, and you know, if I'm, if I'm a billionaire and I'm buying a yacht, I'm going to pay a whole lot of sales tax, you know. So now it might create a little bit of a black market and underground where people, you know, buy and sell stuff that doesn't tax, not, not tax. That's a whole different argument. But that would fix all of this problem is the fair tax, you know. Yeah, well, right, because the only reason there is a, a real difference, any discernible difference between 
a 1099 and a W-2 is, is how you are taxed. Exactly, exactly. It, it goes away. It. it doesn't change how you do the job. There would be no IRS. If there was a fair tax, there would be no IRS. Because it doesn't matter how you made the money. Right. It only matters who you spend it with. Right, but if you don't, and that's, I mean, I, I read the book and, and I listened to Neil Bortz and those guys talk about it, but, but I think the big, the big picture problem there is that if they can't create enemies, if, if they can't say, well, these jobs are good and these jobs are bad, and so you have the, the pimp and the drug dealer opposed to the truck driver and the, and the police officer, you know, you can't, if you don't have that division between people um, and, and people are just allowed to, um, you know, conduct voluntary transactions any way they, they want because it's nobody else's business, then that's where they lose the, the big problem. And or, or they lose that ability to control because then they, they can't divide us up and into moral and immoral just based on how we conduct business transactions. So I think... Uh, you know, in the, the, the libertarian volunteer circles that I run in, there's always the big talk about, um, you know, in the absence of a state, how would things get done? You know, how would, how would roads be paved and how would defense be handled if there, was, if there literally was no United States government, if there was no West Virginia government, if there was no Kentucky government? And... You know, I just simply look at it that all government as an organization is, is people that collect money. They do a really bad job of collecting money because they'll collect a dollar. They'll waste 50 cents of it. They'll lose another 25 cents of it. And 25 cents will actually get to wherever they said it was going. And then I'm supposed to stand there and say, well, thank you for your service. You know, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, you lost 75% of the value, but hey, thanks for the road, brother. It's interesting you chose roads as an example there. And, and, and tolling versus fuel tax would be a perfect example of what you just said. You know, yeah. Most people, they're, they're so anti-tax that they automatically think, well, then tolling is the way to go. But there is so much waste in tolling and cost. So little of the money gets to the road fund, where at the fuel tax... The majority of the money gets to the fuel tax. It gets to the road, and so again, it's a misconception, but it goes with what you're saying. Uh, but and you're it's right. Semantics. I mean, yeah. you know, the 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 fact that there there is an actual system set up through IFTA that actually makes sure that some safeguard to keep the the narcissistic psychopaths from stealing the money, like they've stole it from everything else. That that the money actually does kind of sort of make it to the roads. Well, it gets um, collected. It gets collected very efficiently. Now, yeah. whether or not they use it where it's supposed to be used, that's another whole whole right. conversation. But but the, the the amount of money that's collected versus what is made available as road tax to the government is right. much higher percentage-wise from fuel tax than would ever be from tolling, you know, uh, because you've got so much potential for fraud and, 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 and uh, with these – fraud. <laughs> with these companies that are doing the collecting, you know, the tolling. Well, here in West Virginia, I mean, dude, <laughs> dude, it was hilarious. I mean, they literally came out. It's probably been a year or two ago. Hey, you know what? Turnpike's paid for. We're going to take down all the toll barriers. <laughs> Everybody's like, yes. 
well, they're done. And then they're like, um, now we made a miscalculation. So they tripled yeah. the tolls. And I'm going, how the hell did y'all get from, we're going to knock the toll booths down, we're done. Right. To, now we have to triple the tolls. Triple. <laughs> how does that, and dude, not a single pitchfork showed up in Charleston at the right. state house. Right. Nobody threatened to burn the government down. No, no, no it's just, <laughs> I'm like, that's, that tells you all you need to know. That the people, this idea, here, here's this idea, okay? And this is what I struggle with, and I'm going to try not to sound like an idiot here. But but this idea that we're just going to get people together and everybody's going to vote for the solution, it's just laughable. It just is. I mean, just like this, this thing with, I mean, they literally were like, we'll take the tolls away. Oh, we're going to triple them. And yeah. Everybody's like, oh, okay. Well, sure. That's perfectly reasonable. So this idea that people are going to, you know, uh, black smoke matters and all this much. We're just going to get driven to the edge. You aren't going to do jack shit. You're just not. You know, they're just going to keep pushing you and keep pushing you and keep pushing you. And you're going to say, yes, governor, can I have another? You know, thank you, master. So this idea that, that, you know, oh, we'll just get together and we'll, I'm sorry. It's just laughable to me. You know, one of the things I used to think that people had half a brain, <laughs> but one of the things that social media has, has exposed to me <laughs> is how wrong I was about that. Right. Um, I see the most stupid remarks from people that I thought had a little, had a little bit of sense. Mm-hmm. And and that that I think that's one of the downfalls of social media is exposing to everybody how ignorant we've raised a bunch of people. You know, we've got a we got a whole generation or two of people that just have they are absolutely clueless. You know? Okay, but absolutely clueless. But I'm going to counter that though. Okay, so it's Sunday. I played hooky from church, but I didn't go. So <laughs> the kids want to stay home with me, and so I get up. And my 10-year-old comes in, and Buddy's madder than a wet hornet. And I was like, what's the problem? And the government has passed some children's online privacy thing, okay? It's C-O-P-P-A, COPPA. And uh, YouTube has had some astronomical fine, I think, in the state of New York or New Jersey. They've had to pay a $170 million fine. And... uh, and so my little buddy is just incensed because one of his YouTubers, okay, first, pause. My kids don't watch television, okay? They watch YouTube, right? They don't, I mean, there's there's this, you know, what I grew up doing was watching TV, watching shit. They don't do that. They watch YouTube, okay? So one of their YouTubers comes on and says, hey, if I press the wrong button starting December what, 10th, I think, and this new terms of service change based on this law. If I press the wrong button on one of my videos, I can be fined 40 some thousand dollars. Okay, so this YouTuber, he goes, oh, wait a minute. You know, I knew a guy that got a DUI one time, and his fine was 
And if and then I, so he looks that up and he's like, well, if I had a child in the car, like if I literally put a child's life in danger by driving drunk with a child in the car, my fine would be ten thousand dollars. But if I press the wrong button on YouTube, <laughs> okay. And so Lee, you know, bless his heart, he just doesn't. He's like, well, this is wrong. This is this is stupid. And I'm like, buddy. Same thing with this AB five. They they passed this law. Oh, we're going to protect the childrens from the from the YouTubes and blah 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 blah. And I said, uh, I said, buddy, this all this is going to do is just have YouTube be replaced by some other thing. But think about that though. Okay, here's all these YouTubers, these millennials, these these people that are say eighteen to twenty five years old right now. And there's a bunch of them that are making millions of dollars on YouTube. And all they're doing is having a good time. Mm-hmm. That's it. They're working hard. These YouTubers work hard. Don't, ever, don't everybody, anybody ever think YouTube people that are successful on YouTube and social media are like sitting around a pool not working hard. They're working their butts off. Okay. Because mm-hmm. I can tell you what it takes to put this podcast on. Right. You know, but these people... And my 10-year-old, you're not going to convince them with the same old arguments, you know, that convinced my parents and their parents and convinced me. You know, I just don't think that there's going to come a point where a lot of this stupidity is going to kind of hit a wall. And it's going to be these young kids and they're going to be like, nah, no, 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 no. You're not protecting me from anything. You're just trying to steal $40,000 from me because I pushed the wrong button. So I don't know. I, I think it's going to be interesting to watch because I don't think these kids, they don't have that, um, I guess you would call it political, um, they don't have that political uh, loyalty. Well, you know, I, can, I hear you're saying, but then I turn around and look at these kids who think that socialism is the answer because they have no historical. Just, those are just useful idiots. Well, that, that's what I'm talking about, though. I mean, the same people you're talking about, you know. What separates the, these smart YouTubers from these useful idiots? You know, because they don't have the historical con, you know, um, context of what that means. It sounds like, you know, utopia to them because everybody gets all these entitlements and guarantees. And, you know, they're all living in their parents' basement anyway. So that's what they're used to. How, how do you separate that then from from from? Well, I think how's how I do it, because and because I live it. I mean, it, the statistics say that people are pulling their children out of the government schools at an unprecedented rate. Well, that's a good and it point. and it mm-hmm. used to be, it used to be very fundamentally religious people that would not send their kids to the government schools out of some kind of moral fear, and now it's people pulling their kids out of school because of a mortal fear. They're like literally afraid their kids are going to get shot up. And they're also looking around and going, okay, well, wait a minute. My education failed me. And so I think what we have to be careful of is we have to consider the sources. You know, the people that are putting that little that little Swedish girl or whatever her name was on television that was all mad at everybody over the climate. Well, they love her. They're going to give us... 24-7 Greta, all we can handle. Now, I don't see it because I don't watch it. But you just, when I look around my peers, okay, and my peers are, say, 25 to 50, 
and they're from there 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 are pagan there are liberals there are christians there are homosexuals there are everybody in this homeschool when you get around a bunch of homeschoolers you just see a different kind of a different aura you know and it's like everybody gets along of all these crazy different backgrounds and it's growing like wildfire so you know, I, I I use the same thing when I look at this AB five and all these, you know, these children's privacy stuff. It's like, yeah, it's going to cause an inconvenience, but at least we know by now. All the all the electronic log mandate did was drive rates up, manipulate the economy, and now making crashes worse because drivers are pushing harder than ever before. Whereas before, when we were on paper, we did what was right. Rather than what was legal, right? You know, and we we took naps when we wanted to take naps, and we drove hard when we wanted to drive hard, and we stopped in places where we didn't want to drive through traffic, and then you put these handcuffs on us, and bad shit starts happening, and they're going, well, uh, we need more rules. Well, how'd that work out for you? You know, so I mean, I think we're just heading to a place where eventually. More and more people are like, okay, these rules aren't working. And number one, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just not going to participate. And I, I think people just start kind of unplugging from the system. And because I think human behavior moves like water, you know, if you take a big boulder and plop it down the middle of the creek, the, the river just runs around it. You know, the water just flows. And so, I mean, you can build dams and and you can put all these impediments in front of us, but we're still going to do whatever we damn well please. And we definitely don't care what some little tiny group of people that are like, you know, I mean, out of 325 million people in America, you take all the people in government and all the people that kind of support them and, and they wouldn't fill up a pond in Georgia. So, <laughs> you know, well, sometimes I'd like to throw them in a pond in Georgia, but they're, they're just... Their significance to me is waning. You know, their influence is waning. And these these bills, these these in, interferences are just that last desperate attempt to to please let us be in control. And we're just like, no, screw you, we're out, we're out. You know. So I don't know. It'll be fun to watch. But the bottom line is. If you're in California at AB5, you still have choices. You know, you may have to make choices you didn't plan on. You may have to leave Landstar and get your own authority. But this idea that it's, oh, it's just the end of the world as we know it, I just think it's silly. I, just, I, just, I don't buy in all this apocalyptic world's coming to an end garbage because that just that just makes you easier to control, you know? You know, it's interesting who um, who is kind of decides that people are falling in on this, you know? Um, one of the, right now, one of the big, uh, the biggest organization, supposedly, that fights for the rights of drivers and particularly owner operators, because that's their name. And I'm talking about OOIDA, Owner Operator Independent Driver's Service. They have not come out against AB5 at all. They're they're not fighting it. They're no, they don't. If you call them and ask them about it, they kind of waffle around and say, well, we're just waiting to see what happens. But I'm just kind of, I'm just interested as to why. Why would the biggest organization that represents owner-operators not be, didn't, did not take a position like they did against ELDs? 
yeah. against this. Well, makes you, makes you stop and go, hmm. So I, I think <clears throat> maybe, I, I don't know, I might want to speak for Avada, but because we in the trucking industry have created some problems for ourselves, one of, one of them is um, lease purchases done by carriers that there's so many of those people who are leasing trucks from carriers and 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 I'm never going to sanction sanction it and I'm never going to tell you it's a good idea even though I did it and even though I was successful at it to an extent but you know I didn't go bankrupt leasing a truck but maybe they're going to have to wait and see how this steps out and touches the rest of the industry. The lack of basic, and this goes back to why my kids are homeschooled and they don't, don't ever set foot in a state school. The lack of historical financial and economic education is unacceptable in this, in this country, in this, in this modern age, the amount of people walking around that don't know the basics of history, finance, and economics is what leads to leasing a truck, right? Dave Ramsey is going to be – Dave Ramsey is, is, is going to have a career until he's 107 <laughs> teaching the stuff that he's teaching – because there's so much there's so much ignorance that he can he can he can do this forever and never and never run out of people to, to teach but it's unfathomable to a lot of people to even conceive of having ten thousand dollars in their bank account right you know I mean we say that we we do that well well we just bought this truck for ten thousand dollars then we'll put this in it we'll put that in it we'll put a driver in it we'll make this amount of money I'm telling you the number of people that hear that just heard me say that into this microphone, and they're like, even in the back of their mind, they're like, I can't do that. I can't save ten thousand dollars. It's not possible. That's that to me is the real travesty. That people have they don't believe that it's even possible that they can do that, that they have the discipline, they have the ability. Cause I didn't. I didn't believe it, you know, and so I, my, in my mind was like, well, if I want to be an owner operator, I have to start by leasing a truck from a carrier because it's the only way I can get there. That's a fundamental problem. And I don't know, that goes back much, much further than whether somebody's being classified correctly as an owner operator and a, and a contractor because of a basic lack of fundamental education. That's a that's a huge problem, you know, and it's solved at the parent-child level, you know, because the schools aren't going to teach you that ever. Not happening. Yeah. Well, that's you know we we deal with that all the time here. You know, that's when we preach about what we try to do here at Blue Ribbon with with our drivers. First thing we do is bring them in and and try to educate them on personal responsibility and personal finance and and give them an opportunity to be able to straighten their personal situation up so that they're, they're not in that situation you know yeah um so i mean we're having we're we're having to educate 
them because they didn't get it anywhere else, you know. And we're we're having to prove to them and the industry that you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to lease purchase a vehicle to be successful in this industry. Right. Matter of fact, it's a whole lot better if you don't. So, and on that note, Epstein didn't kill himself. (laughs) Yes. I'm so glad you worked that in there. Oh, hey, that right there is one hell of a place to shut this down. <laughs> and if you're, my age, if you're my age, <laughs> JFK didn't get killed with one bullet either. <laughs> That's so good. All right, y'all. Well, if y'all have appreciated this mess that we've been bringing to you, uh, send us an email. Let us know about it. Chris at blueribbonlogistics.com. Larry at blueribbonlogistics.com. I want to give you a shortcut. So I created some shortcuts for you. Uh, let's say you have a friend that who has an iPhone, and you would like to share the podcast with them. Well, if you tell them to go to www.blueribbonlogistics.com slash iTunes, it's a shortcut to get to our show on iTunes. And if you want to go to www.blueribbonlogistics.com slash Stitcher, that will take you, and it'll, if you do that on your phone, it will open the Stitcher app and take you right to our show. So that's a little easier way of trying to find the show uh, than, than trying to dig through these podcast apps. Or you can just go to blueribbonlogistics.com slash podcast, and all the episodes are there and can be played right in the browser. Uh, check us out on Facebook, at Blue Ribbon Logistics. And I believe we've done enough damage for one day. Everybody have fun. Be safe. We'll see you next time. Later.